This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Are the majority of fans and pundits right? Is it just pure greed? Or do the 12 football clubs that dropped the bombshell announcement of a breakaway European Super League have valid financial reasons for making their move? Hello and welcome to ST Sports Talk where we bring you interviews and discuss sports' biggest talking points. My name is Azali Abdulaziz and with me today is James Walton, who is the sports business group leader at Deloitte Southeast Asia and also a Tottenham Hotspur fan for almost 40 years. Hello James, how how are you? It's been a busy 48 hours, right? This uh, this week has really started with a bang. To say the least, uh, right, right. Uh, uh, just how keen uh, an eye are you keeping on, on the developments? Well, yesterday, um, up to about 4, 4.30 in the afternoon, I was, I was very focused on it. And then something else happened at Tottenham. And, and, and at that point, I was, I was having a meltdown on two fronts at the same time, <laughs> trying to work out what was happening at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium while also trying to work out what was happening around the rest of Europe. And, and the two, for a moment, the two intertwined, although that, I think that was just internet gossip and, and, and rumours. But uh, here we are a day later and no clearer on either story. From what you understand from, a, I guess, a business and financial standpoint, uh, just why have these, you know, 12 teams resorted to, to such an extreme measure, you know, considering a, a breakaway league? So I think, I mean, I think if we start, if we go back in history, right, if you go back to 1998, when this idea was first broached by an Italian media company, actually, and what they wanted was a similar format. And at the time, the Champions League, of course, had very few teams in it every season. And the resulting pressure led to UEFA expanding the Champions League and effectively with some other changes over the years, getting to the point we have now where you have three, four, and possibly even five teams from from one league uh, participating. Um, And for a time, back in the days of in the Premier League, the the, the big sky four, as they were called, who were pretty much qualifying every season, um, that, that seemed to settle everyone. But now what's happened in the last couple of years is that Competition is getting hotter again. We've seen teams like Manchester United and Arsenal stay out of the Champions League for prolonged periods. We're facing a situation this year where Liverpool, Tottenham, Arsenal and Chelsea could all not be in the Champions League next season if, if West Ham and Leicester were to get the places. Um, and obviously that is upsetting them a little bit because, you know, even if you get to the final of the Europa League, the prize money is what, 40, 45 million euros. Uh, which is what you get for getting out of the group stages in in the Champions League. So I think the first factor is they're not getting that guaranteed income anymore, and it's getting harder and harder for them to access the riches um, that the Champions League offers. So I think that's that's number one. I think number two is that COVID has kind of laid bare that these great big money-making machines, I mean, you take Barcelona and and Real Madrid last year, even in a year affected by COVID, their revenues were 700 million euros each. Um, You had teams like Liverpool, uh, Arsenal, Spurs, whose revenues are all over, you know, all in the range of, say, half a billion euros, were were furloughing staff and furloughing their their mascots, in the case of Arsenal, right? And, And asking for government subsidies. And I think it kind of exposed that as bigger money-making machines as these look like, they're spending so much money on their wages, so much money on building new infrastructure, stadiums, training grounds, things like this, um, that actually they're, they're on a pretty shaky base. Um, and, and COVID has kind of exposed that. And one of the problems has been that they cannot project 
what their income will be for the next couple of years because you cannot guarantee that you will be in the Champions League. So a couple of years ago, I took a, a potential investor, an Asian investor, to meet with a top six Premier League team uh, about a possible acquisition. And when we were looking through their financial modeling, they had basically projected out that over an eight-year period that they would make the Champions League four times, make the Europa League four times. And, and that was how their model was, was built out um, uh, because there was no certainty. So the teams want that. They want the, the certainty um, that would come from, from that money, especially in a post-COVID world, being guaranteed to them every season. And then the last point would just be that they have egos and they believe that they are the reason why the Champions League is watched by people, that they are the reason why the media rights and the sponsorships are coming in. And we've heard these same arguments in recent years in the Premier League, in La Liga, in Syria, in, in French Ligue 1 with Paris Saint-Germain. We are the reason people watch. We should get a bigger share of, of the money. And effectively, they're now playing that same card with UEFA. So if you look at the numbers, UEFA's uh, TV rights is worth about 3 billion a year. They redistribute about 2 billion of that to the teams and another billion kind of goes into their own pockets and, and costs. This European Super League, the word is that they're projecting that they could get 4 billion in TV rights. And of course, that 4 billion would all go to them. There wouldn't, you know, there's no UEFA with their hand in the pot to take some of that. And you've got to imagine the sponsorships would be the same. So they think they can make the pie bigger. They think they can increase their own share of that pie. And they think that they can guarantee and ring fence that share of a pie in a way that they can't right now because they don't control it. So you've already explained how the clubs could potentially financially benefit uh, more than they, they are doing now. But how much is it projected? You know, Do you have a percentage uh, how much each club could, could stand to, to earn more than they are now? Well, well the, it's a difficult question because the wild card in all of this is what happens if they get kicked out of their domestic leagues. So if you, if you look at the current format, as I say, Champions League distributes about $2 billion down to the teams. If you are in the Champions League, the amount you would get for getting through to the group stage up to the final and winning it is anywhere between 40 million euros and 120 million euros. And as I mentioned earlier, Europa League only goes up to about 40, 45 million euros even even to win it, right? Um, so that that's the amount of money that's that's potentially coming to these teams. So let's say that you are um, Liverpool and you win uh, the the Champions League, you could get 110, depending upon how many points in the group stage and all this kind of stuff, 110 million euros in your pocket, right? But from the Premier League, if you were to win the Premier League and get the largest share of the TV money there. That could be around about 150, 160, 170 million pounds coming out of the Premier League to the winner, um, assuming that they that they tick certain other boxes as well. So when you put those two numbers next to each other, you see that the Premier League money is actually worth more than the Champions League money to these teams right now. Um, and then, of course, they have other income streams around, you know, gate receipts and their own club sponsorships and, and, and other prize monies and things like that. Now, this new model, they are talking about that they will pay out, depending upon which number you believe, somewhere between three and four billion up front in, in what is basically a signing on bonus for the clubs, which could be up to 300 million for the larger teams. It will vary by the teams. It's not equal. But the way that's being described is that it's 
you know, money coming from the league to the teams, but it's actually a loan because JP Morgan are putting the money into this league and the money they're putting in is a 23 year loan at about two to 3% interest, which means the league needs to repay that loan at a rate of something like 260, 270 million euros per year to pay that money back, which means as the clubs take that money, they're effectively drawing in advance on the money that league will make because they're going to have to pay that back in interest to JP Morgan as they go, right? So you've got that initial payment and you can imagine for someone like Tottenham who has 650 million uh, of stadium debt, that an amount like 200, 250 million, uh, you know, as a signing on is, is definitely incentive. And then they're saying that the prize money for the winner of the European Super League would be as high as 220 to 240 million euros, um, which obviously is double the current. Mm-hmm. And that every team that's in it um, from the founder's point of view would be getting at least 75 to 100 million as a starting point. So when you look at that, that means that even being a founding member of this league would be worth as much, if not more, than being a semi-finalist in the Champions League every season. Um, but as I say, the wild card in this is if you get kicked out of the Premier League, then you lose 100 million on the one hand in order to gain 100 million on the other hand. Plus, you potentially lose a lot of gate receipts, a lot of season ticket money, a lot of merchandising and a share of sponsorship as well. So there's still a lot of things that need to be, need to be worked through in this model. You, you mentioned how the COVID pandemic exposed the realities a bit uh, of how the clubs are being run and it accelerated this posturing by the clubs. But do you think it would have happened uh, anyway, you know, this breakaway league uh, and the announcement made by the tough clubs in maybe a, a year or, or so? So as I say, there's, there's been stories of this going back to 1998, most, most recently 2016 and then again in uh, 2018. Um, in 2016, there was actually a consortium that got basically caught talking to some of the Premier League teams. I don't know if you remember, there was secret meetings going on that got revealed. And then in 2018, there were some leaks. And the leaks suggested that the plan was to activate this in 2021. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's two years before COVID that they were planning on trying to roll this out in 2021. Um, I think what happened is that they were pushing along quite nicely their hand has been forced a little bit by COVID. And I think they maybe feel that now is as good a time as any while, while the world is all kind of in, in a little bit of disarray and, and things are resetting and that they can point to the instability that exists and the lack of gate receipts as reasons why this needs to be done. Um, but I think the timing, judging by what we're hearing about how rushed this was, I mean, there was one comment from a board member of one of the teams was that decisions that would usually take weeks or months were being made in hours mm. in the last week. And um, we were hearing from UEFA that these teams committed to the new UEFA Champions League plan as late as Friday and Saturday, mm. and yet announced this on, on, on Sunday. So it's pretty clear that something made this accelerate even quicker. And that is not COVID, because if it was COVID, you'd have done it six months ago. Yeah. And that seems to be the UEFA overhaul of the Champions League and in effect trying to to have some impact on that. You talk about timing, I, I can't resist uh, Spurs six days out from a cup final, sacking their manager, <laughs> announcing a breakaway participation in a breakaway league. Uh, hardly ideal preparation, right? Could we be any more Tottenham 
than that. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I, I mean, I mean, honestly, th- there's a few things that stand out to me on that. One is whenever a team replaces their manager a few days before playing us, they always beat us. So, I mean, maybe it will maybe it will work for us, right? And Guardiola is definitely not going to know what Ryan Mason is yeah. is is going to have up his sleeve. But but the other thing that really stands out on this is how desperate and I may change that word later but how desperate do you have to be to sack your 15 million pound a season manager who has a track record of winning trophies and by the way has a pretty good track record in one-off games and has in his 15 uh, his 516 days whatever it was with Spurs beat Manchester City twice don't forget um, that you're sacking him six days out and believing that a rookie manager will be able to inspire a better performance out of these players than Jose can. And that's really what you're gambling on here. What you're gambling on is that the players will somehow feel invigorated and released of the burden of Jose and come out and perform. And I think that is a pretty damning indictment right there of, of the regime that you weren't willing to wait until Monday, Tuesday, lose the cup final and then say, well, there you go, Jose, you're not winning silverware, that, that you're willing to do it this early, you know? That actually brings me to my next point. Do you think the discussion about the ESL and, and obviously the financial benefits that it will bring the participants, is there a case to be made for clubs to simply run themselves better in order to be more sustainable it's a hell of an idea i know but you know i mean like uh, you mentioned Mourinho, uh, spurs they've sacked pochettino for you know have had to play i think 8.5 million reportedly Mourinho possibly about 15 million um per year so potentially 30 million yeah yeah arsenal you know they paid uh Two hundred thousand pounds to William, and then you know, follow their mascot, as you pointed out. Uh, is there a case to be made that clubs should be just a bit more uh, prudent in their day-to-day running? You know, it's it's a catch twenty-two, and and we see this particularly Spurs fans and 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 Arsenal fans um, at the moment, Man United fans quite a bit in the last couple of years. Is that the club? The fans are out there telling the clubs. Sign players, sign players, sign players. We want the best managers. We want this. We want that. All the things they want. And then turning around and saying, you don't spend enough money. Uh, you put up my season ticket price. You sell three jerseys, four jerseys a season. And this is such a ripoff, 90 pounds for a Nike jersey. In a way, the fans are the ones fueling this. Now, that's not to say that the owners are, are, are not greedy. Um, and indeed, in some cases, the reason they've invested in this sport is because they are greedy and that they can see that that, that they can do this. Um, but, you know, these teams, when they've gone into the European Super League, they've gambled a little bit. They've gambled on the fact that, yes, the fans will probably initially be angry, but that eventually the fans will come back. Because if those fans don't come back, you're not selling your TV rights, you're not selling your tickets and you're not selling your sponsorships. And I come back to many years ago now when the Glazers took over Man United and there was a, a spin-off team and all the fans said, yeah, we're all going to go support this spin-off team in the lower leagues and start a real Manchester United team and we're going to boycott Manchester United. Didn't really happen, did it? I mean, no. the team happened and, and a few people may have gone down there, but Man United is still selling out week in, week out and more sponsorship deals than ever. And, and what they're gambling with here is the fact that you and I it's very difficult for us to change our, our teams. I can't go turn around tomorrow and say, well, hold on. What's the closest team 
to Tottenham that's still in the Premier League. West Ham, yeah, I'll, I'll forget everything I've always said about them. And, and then go... Which I'm sure is a lot over the years. I go and... Well, I, I was careful to say West Ham and not wet spam, right? I mean, that's the starting point for any Spurs fan has to get over that hurdle in the first place. But they're gambling on that. And, and yes, there will be people that boycott. And yes, there will be people that don't buy tickets. But I mean, you take Spurs. They've got right now something like 80,000, 85,000 people on their season ticket waiting list. Um, now, interestingly, it was over 90,000 a year or two ago before COVID. Um, I'm told it's now down to about 80,000. But if you've got 80,000 people on your waiting list and 10,000 people boycott you, you know, you can live with that, right? Yeah, yeah. If you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our podcast, ST Sports Talk, on your favorite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our chat with James Walton, the sports business group leader at Deloitte Southeast Asia. Moving ahead to the bit about TV rights and broadcast deals, how will the ESL change the landscape of you know, such broadcast deals for European football? Maybe not, not just specifically for mm. the ESL itself or the Champions League, but for domestic leagues as well. So this will fundamentally change the TV rights, not only obviously for the ESL, but yeah, the Champions League and the domestic leagues as well. Because if you're the Champions League and you don't have your flagship teams in the competition, then that is going to affect the value of your, your rights. And equally, you're competing possibly directly for an 8 p.m. Wednesday time slot against the European Super League. They've already said they plan on playing their games in effectively the Champions League time slot, right? Which means, again, you're going you're gonna to come head-to-head on that product. Now, the, the European Super League seem to be very ambitious to think they can get $4 billion because there will be markets like France and Germany where their rights will not be worth a lot because they don't have Bayern, they don't have PSG, they, they don't have those teams, right? Um, but we're hearing that they are looking more to new media companies and that they're looking potentially to companies like Amazon, Disney, Netflix, and going through subscription models more than the traditional TV models. Um, and, and that potentially, maybe that will be a way that they find that, they find that money. But as I say, for the Champions League, this, this could be very damaging. Um, for the domestic leagues, if the teams stay in the domestic league, it probably will not have too bad of an impact um, to the, you know, to the Premier League and La Liga and Syria. There's a feeling amongst many analysts that we're in a bit of a bubble right now, anyway, and it may pop at any at any time. But it does seem in recent years to keep to keep going up and up. However, if those teams get kicked out of the Premier League, then again, w- will the Premier League be able to command three billion pounds for their for their rights without the six most supported teams in the league? Probably not. Um, And then that undermines. But somebody brought up a a brilliant comment to me yesterday, which was, imagine they stay in the Premier League and with five games left of the season, Manchester City are 10 points clear uh, of Manchester United and Arsenal and Chelsea and Spurs and Liverpool. And then in seventh place, you have West Ham. What are numbers two through six playing for once Manchester City are 11 points clear? Because you're already in the European Super League anyway. So you don't care. Um, And so it will make a lot more of the games a lot more meaningless because for those teams, effectively, if you're not winning the Premier League title, why are you even showing up? Um, And and that eventually may have a knock-on effect on the product and a knock-on effect on, on the value of the rights as well. 
Just to sidetrack a little, you mentioned the companies are exploring um, you know, new media uh, and, and new subscription models as a way forward. Have changing viewing habits among uh, younger consumers uh, changed anything about the value of you know, broadcast deals? I, I keep hearing and reading sometimes that youngsters now, they don't bother waking up you know, to catch Champions League games, well, in Singapore at least, or, or they hardly sit through an entire, you know, Premier League game. Is there any truth to this uh, in terms of studies being done and has it affected the value of deals? Mate, mate, we're getting old because when we were 18 or 19, we would have stayed up to watch the game. Yeah. Now you're talking about getting Waking up, up. <laughs> to watch the game, right? That's, how, that's when you know you've got old. But, I mean... If you listen to to Perez, the Real Madrid president, who's likely to be the, the, the president of this European Super League, he gave a rambling interview yesterday where he said teenagers these days don't have the attention span to watch a 90-minute game, and we may need to make the game shorter, which is, you know, to I mean, that I think was the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of football fans yesterday, that you can change the competition format, but if you start talking about you know, 60-minute games or something, then, then they won't be interested. But interestingly, they also talked about how they would leverage technology um, and, and how it would be a technology-enabled sport. So they do seem to be trying within this ESL format to address some of those things. But it's the same battle that Formula One uh, and other sports are, are fighting as well, right? Which is you're competing against, you're no longer competing just against terrestrial TV and cinema and concerts. Now you're competing against Netflix, Disney Plus, and, and all these kinds of things. Um, you can now watch football from anywhere in the world um, at any moment in time. You can now um, watch any sport from anywhere in the world. And all these sports are competing for the same dollar share. They're competing for the same eyeballs. And, and you've got to find something to, to interest. And in a way, this is what the ESL is trying to do. They're trying to give you Ronaldo versus Messi guaranteed a couple of times every every season um but whether or not that will work in the long run is is very difficult i personally think that yes what i'm seeing when i talk to people in singapore is that the people that are getting up at three or four o'clock in the morning to watch the games is the 30 35 40 year old fans that have been watching for 10 15 20 years that's just the habit lah. it's generally not the, the 18, 19, 20-year-old fans that are doing that. Now, I, honestly, I can't tell you socially what that is. Is it because they're awake because they've got a baby screaming in the house? Is it because they're, they're working night shifts and day shifts? Is it because you need a certain amount of money to pay for the, you know, to watch these games? And, and it is expensive. It's not cheap, especially in Singapore, of all places. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm not sure what the factor is, but there's, there's definitely something there, yeah. Do you think, you mentioned a couple of other spots, you know, like F1. Do you think the ESL could lead to more breakaway, you know, competitions or leagues uh, in other sports? Golf, tennis, maybe? We've seen a few examples over the years of cross-border leagues. I mean, you think about Super Rugby um, as, as one example. Um, where We've seen in the past joint football leagues around Europe, but they, in, the, in those cases, they were sanctioned by... UEFA because they were domestic leagues joining together basically to improve the game, right? So most recently, you know, Netherlands, Belgium and, and things like that. Scotland, Denmark have come into the discussion. We've even had talks here in Southeast Asia around an ASEAN um, Super League um, in, in recent years as well. So football's always had these stories. We're hearing about a possible East Asian Super League for basketball um, is, is in discussions um, at the moment. 
Um, I think for sports like tennis and and golf and things like that, it's a little bit harder to get a to get breakaway groups going and get that critical mass. Um, but we have seen, you know, there was a period, uh, what two years ago now in tennis, where there was a real uh, schism between players in in the ATP tennis, um, and and arguments happening and and. P, uh, player representatives getting voted out and the ATP, you know, chairman getting voted out and things like that. So it, it, it could happen. But the reality is players will go wherever the money is. And I think it may be a sport, even though we have a, a, a superstar in Singapore, um, but a sport that many people won't be too familiar with is darts. And darts, if anybody follows it in, in Europe, is a classic example where the league, uh, the two championships basically split. I mean, was 20, 25 years ago now. And there's basically two um, leagues or two associations running simultaneously side by side. Um, and uh, people have the one that they follow, the one that they don't follow. And effectively, there's two world champions. So it has happened in sport before. But at the end of the day, people will go where the money is and where they feel that they will get the best possible return. You mentioned earlier about this analogy about United and you know how when the Glazers took over, there was you know a big protest and a lot of unhappiness, but that soon died down. Do you think that this is also the approach of potential sponsors? You know, obviously, um, in the last couple of days, it's been overwhelmingly, mainly bad sort of uh, <laughs> uh, reception from fans. Do you think they, they might you know, sort of be put off by the criticism or they're just sort of like biding their time and, you know, eventually everyone will accept it and then they'll jump in. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be a sponsor going out on a press release right now. I know that <laughs> much because my, my product will be getting boycotted uh, at least for a while. Um, I, I, I think if they're smart and it's the same with the, the media rights companies whose names have been dropped in some circles right now, all saying they know nothing about this and, and nothing to do with them. Um, I, I'm sure that these clubs have done their homework. I'm sure they've spoken to people. They wouldn't jump out on a limb like this unless they they had a feeling that they had some things up their sleeve. Um, but yeah, I, I'm absolutely certain until we get to a point that the league has a start date and you know any legal challenges or anything else. I mean, we were talking just before we started here that there's rumors today one or two of the teams are getting cold feet already. Um, you can imagine if you were a sponsor and you came in and then one of the two of those teams got cold feet and the whole thing collapsed, yeah. you'd be wanting damages mm -hmm. um, uh, for, for, for the brand damage you've suffered, right? So I, I would, I, until we get to a point that this is absolutely definitely going ahead and there's a date and the other three founding members are known, I don't think anyone is going to put their head above the parapets right now and risk getting it shot off. All right, so one last question, and this is not an easy one. I don't know if you can answer it, but you know, put you on the spot. Uh, taking in all the numbers, facts, figures, habits, consumption trends you've poured through the last uh, 48 hours, do you think the ESL will eventually take off? You know, I just told someone a few minutes ago that I was 50-50 whether it would even still be alive by the end of this week. Um, uh, because I think things are going to move very fast. We've seen threats out of UEFA. Mm -hmm. um, around, you know, banning these teams. There was a comment from one board member that they were going to vote on whether to kick out three of the four Champions League semifinalists by Friday and then, and then find a different way to finish the tournament, which PSG probably won't be happy about. <laughs> but um, honestly, it, it's moving so fast. I think there's a, I think not all the cards are on the table yet. I don't think the full information is out there. 
I don't think everybody has shown their hand. There is such a backlash on this, though, from governments. And, and the worst thing for the clubs is the threat to be kicked out of their domestic leagues. So the three Syria teams met with the rest of Syria yesterday and reconfirmed their commitment to stay in Syria. But in the Premier League, the other 14 teams are meeting without the six and talking about what to do about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's very different approaches here. If I were a betting man, uh, what do I think? I think within one to two weeks, this whole thing will get so messy and drawn out as that everyone is in it is getting polluted by it. And I think what will happen is that there will somehow come to a compromise. Uh, the Champions League format may be revisited again or the money or a commitment to revisit it, a commitment to give more to that level. Um, and the clubs will back down, but they will back down saying that they have won a battle for the greater good and and that they were very determined and that this was never a bluff, um, but that, you know, the circumstances are not right right now and they will revisit it in future, something like that. But I just, as it stands right now, if it does go ahead, um, it's not football as we know it. It'll be a complete overhaul of everything we know about football. Um, and uh, I can't see that anybody is going to allow that to happen. All right, James, thank you so much for all your insight and thoughts and, and for, for taking the time to speak to us. No problem. Thanks, mate. And that's a wrap for this episode of ST Sports Talk. We hope you enjoyed listening. You can search for our show, ST Sports Talk, on your favourite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Like us and rate us. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts, or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.